So what I'm going to do is probably the impossible and uh, run through this final part of our series, Money and the Purpose of Prosperity. And uh, I'm going to try and do it in under five minutes. So uh, hit go. Basically, oh really, bad start. Can you reset the thing because it's not working. There we go. Is beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Has been where we've anchored ourselves over this series. And the reason for it is what we're saying is that God gives us a purpose. There's the purpose that God gives overall. There's a purpose that God has put Project Planet Earth together. And we are part of that purpose. He gives each one of us giftings and callings so that we play our part in this ultimate purpose. The only way we can play this part is if our identity is in God that we trust God, that we dream and imagine what He has in place for us, which He said is beyond our wildest dreams and expectations. We have this vision of what it is, we see this purpose, and we move into a place where we faithfully work through what God has said to each of us individually, but even as a congregation, as a community. And then what happens is when we do that faithfully, what He does is He, he, he says to us, you are now trustworthy. He then goes and He adds more to us. Once he adds more to us, there's an increase in capacity. We start to have authority and ownership over these things, and we have the dominion, which is spoken of in Genesis, that we're supposed to have. That's the model. What then happens, though, is we have a... It's not working again. Oopsie. We had Paul Tossil come in, and he told us about the trading floors and the courtrooms of heaven. How are we trading? I'm going to read Luke 16 in a moment. But he shared the, the dishonest manager parable. And he said, how are we investing? How are we trading on the trading floors of heaven? We then heard about the three schemes that the enemy has for us. The first one is toil. And what you can see is what starts to happen is you get tired, you get busy. You start to toil. You stop dreaming. You stop seeing what God's called you to. You stop seeing his purposes. You trust in yourself. You have a reduced harvest and you're absent from your family and you don't create a legacy. We were then told that how do we redeem that? We redeem that by the Sabbath. We redeem that by resting in God, by resting in Christ. We begin to dream again. We see what God has done. Faithfulness is restored and there's no sorrow where toil brings sorrow. The second scheme of the enemy is fear. He will stop you dreaming through fear because you listen to what the enemy is saying. Did God really say, if you are the son of God? Come on. God didn't really say that. God's not good. And then what happens is, as you listen to others about what they are talking about, and we have this understanding that God is a God of punishment, this big old man with a stick waiting to beat you when you mess up. And so we're afraid. We're afraid to fail. We're afraid that we, of the wounds and the hurts, and we're insecure. And so what happens is, is we have this poverty mentality, and we see limited resources. We don't see the abundance that God has for us. We see lack. That gets put onto ourselves, and we become orphan-hearted because we say we're not worth it. And that just takes us into a place of depravity. Then what happens is, is how do we do this? How do we redeem fear? Well, we need to listen to the truth of God. And Grant showed us how we self-audit based on God's standard. What is God speaking over you? When we listen to this, we begin to trust. We find our identity. We stop listening to others and to the enemy. We begin to dream again. We begin to see we are sons and daughters of the Most High. And we start to see this purpose that He has for us. Those two that I've said is fear and toil are things from within. Now what happens is from without is there are things that sabotage us and there are betrayals that happen to us through people. And so we see we can have hopelessness, trauma, victimization. There are threats, warnings of an abandonment that come our way. And what starts to happen is, again, we stop dreaming. 
we stop seeing the vision that God has for us, we start to see limited resources and poverty again. And then what happens is I'm not worth it, and we begin to fear and toil. And so the outward things can start to become the inward things which start to get expressed. How do we redeem that? We need to be bound in spirit. We need to trust God. We need to start to begin to dream again, to see what God has for us through courage and prayer and a community support. And what Anthony did was he showed us this, which was amazing. We are bound in spirit when we know who we are, we know whose we are, and we know why we are. And when we put that into the context of a community, it protects us from sabotage, it protects us from fear, and it protects us from toil. Then what happens is, as you finally start to make it, God is adding to you. There's purpose. But what starts to happen is the spirit of mammon starts to rise up because like Deuteronomy chapter 8, you're going, hey, look what I'm doing. And so the spirit of entitlement starts. You start to trust in yourself again. You start to strive and there's self-promotion self and sensuous living and this kind of boastfulness that starts and now it just becomes the purpose about me, myself, and I, the trinity of self. So we have to watch that spirit of mammon and entitlement is so big in this city. Watch what's happening here in our hearts. And again, how do we defeat it? We bind ourselves to God in sacrifice and we become radical givers. Radical people of generosity towards one another, towards our communities, towards our city, towards our country. And we break the back of the spirit of mammon that so has so many people. And then last week we had Karen and Anthony share just on debt and financial distress. And there's a whole bunch of things up there which I'm not going to run through. You can see. And all of the stuff is on the net. You can grab it. You can get the notes. You can get all of these uh, PowerPoint slides, all of it. But it's important for us to understand what does debt mean? What does financial stress mean? Is debt good? Is debt bad? Etc. So now what I'm going to do is, this morning, I've entitled my talk, True Riches and the Ancient Paths. So I'm going to start off by reading Luke 16. Well, let me describe Luke 16. It's a parable about a dishonest manager. He's not doing very well. His master comes up to him and says, listen, you're out of here. You're fired. He goes, oh no, I don't want to be fired. So what I'm going to go do is I'm going to go to Steve O's 1,000 Rand. Steve, I'm going to discount what you owe. If you pay me 800, your debt is cleared. Oh, and Ian, you owe 5,000 rand. If you pay me three right now, your debt is cleared. This is how the master responds, which is, we all think that's dishonest. I mean, you've been fired, and now you're just going and discounting all these debts. And verse 8 says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends. And I talked about that in my first talk um, two months ago. It says, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Like I said, I dealt with this in my first talk. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. Here's my key text. So if you have not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you your own property? No one can serve two masters. Either he loves one and hates the other, or he's devoted to one and despises the other. No one can serve both God and money. So when I look at my little slide here, what we have is we have two realms. We have an unseen realm, and we have a seen realm. This is where you and I live. 
That's why I put the sun there. I thought it was quite cool. And we've just read that when we are trustworthy with these resources, what happens? Well, what are resources? They're money, they're favor, they're revelation, they're insight, they're relationships, they're anointing. We can go on. We're talking about money right now. But when we are trustworthy, when we are faithful with what we are given, we are given access by Jesus into true riches, true spiritual riches, the protocols of heaven. We start to see what God is doing in the heavenlies and bring that and manifest that down on earth. Because what happens is, is this is a circular thing. And the circular thing is, is once we've seen those things, we want to manifest that on earth. Just like Jesus, who was the Son of God, came and manifested perfection here on earth. Does that make sense? So, obedience in this realm gives me access to this realm. Now you say, well, how does all of this work? Well, let's look at the text, our key text. If we look at this key text, it's, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper, seen realm, in all things and be in health, seen realm, just as your unseen realm of your soul prospers. Let's not stop there. Let's go to Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, unseen, and all these things will be added to you in the natural, or the seen realm. So Jesus is in the boat. There's a storm that's coming. Oh, it's there. The disciples are pooping themselves. They are fishermen. They've been in storms, and they know that this storm is going to kill them. They wake up Jesus. Don't you love us? What does Jesus do? Do you have storms in heaven? No. What is in heaven? Peace. So what Jesus does is he's been trustworthy as a son. You are my son whom I love, and I'm well pleased. You've been trustworthy on here on earth. So what I'm doing is I'm giving you access to true riches. There's now a storm in the physical realm that I showed you. And he says, be still. So he manifested what is heavenly and from the courts of heaven down on earth. And he stopped the storm in the natural. That's what we are called to do as believers. Let's have another look. Proverbs. Proverbs 16 says, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver? The second text there, the wise have wealth and luxury, but the fools spend it on whatever they desire. So here's the challenge here, is that the principle that this is talking about is if you pursue wealth, instead of first pursuing wisdom, you will lose both wealth and wisdom. But how many of us do that? We want the good things. We want the things. We pursue what God gives as opposed to who God is. It's one of our key values. We spoke of it in our prayer meeting this morning. That we want God for God, not for God for what He gives us. Because if you pursue what God gives you, you will lose not only the resources, but the wisdom that got you to God. So, the Israelites. They get released by Pharaoh from Egypt. What happens? They plunder the Egyptians. That's what the Word of God says. They, they were, guys were throwing jewels and gold and silver at them. They could hardly carry it into the desert. What was that to be used for? For the temple, for the tabernacle. What did they use it for? The building a golden calf. So here's the thing. Everything, every blessing, and we're not just talking money, but we're also just talking money right now. But whatever blessing you are given, it has the potential to either shape or influence history or to become a golden calf.
Now, I've undertaken, and Steve and Helen in particular are my witnesses here, that I've undertaken never to preach on money in a time of lack. If we'd done this series when we had planned at the beginning of the year, there was a lack. I wasn't getting a salary. So now what happens is, is you know that there's stuff inside of you, so what, no matter what you're saying, what comes out, the sound that comes out is desperation. There's not lack right now. God has blessed us. And so what happens is, is I'm never going to speak on money for my sake, but I am going to speak on money for your sake. And to some extent, I need to stand here and confess to you that I have not done that well, because there is God's way. And often we miss God's way, and what happens when we don't do it God's way? There's a problem. So, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to now navigate what the ancient paths look like. We can have debates afterwards. I'm not going into the detail. There's so much here. But I want to show you some ancient paths. The first thing is when you get your income. I've, I've put three things up there. There's probably more sources of income, of course. There's dividends and other things. But you get a salary. People give you things. And you have profits, whether you're an entrepreneur or whatever it might be. You get a share of something. In Deuteronomy 8, which was mentioned just now, was you may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced wealth for me. There's that me, myself, and I. But remember, the Lord your God, when this happens, for it's He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So, we get this income. It's a blessing that we can now flow out from within us. Now what happens is, is Malachi chapter 3. It's a scripture that actually for a long time I have not really enjoyed because I feel it was under the law and it was all those kind of things. But God has opened my eyes up to some stuff here. It says from verse 10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Tell me this, says the Lord Almighty. Sorry, tell me. Test me, thank you. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. My eyes are getting worse and worse. I need to get a bigger iPad. And see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it in. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before they ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then, notice this, then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land. Remember that too, says the Lord Almighty. So I want to cover a couple of points here. They're interesting points. So when we come ultimately to this place, is we've got income 100%. 10%, God says, is a tithe. And I'm going to run through this very briefly. A tithe is your first step and your initial step towards true riches. If you don't do this, you will never step towards true riches. Why? Because God says... Everywhere else in the Bible, even in our, the book of James that we did before the series, what does he say? Do not put your Lord God to the test. And yet God says, in this arena, test me. Try and outgive me. And I will show you it's not possible. So he says, come and test me. And will you not see the outpouring of blessing? And so again, we see this connection of when we are faithful and obedient to what God is saying and do it his way, there's a link through to what is in my heart to true riches. Next, tithing is not a maturity issue. It's a simple obedience. How many of you have seen parents try and reason with a two-year-old child? I sat there and I go, really? It's not. I tried that. I said, 
mean, my parents beat me. And uh, they're here, I'm just teasing. But I was like, I'm never going to give my kid a smack. And then I tried to reason with them. Spare the rod, spoil the child. And you can go into all the, uh, what the rod means. Uh, if you don't smack your kid on the bum, when they're going to go and do something dangerous, or etc., etc., or do not obey, you're teaching your kids obedience. If you don't discipline your child, it says you're an illegitimate child. That's what Hebrews tells us. So, okay, that was on the side. But what I'm saying is this is not a maturity issue. This is baby Christian stuff. Step in. I am now going to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life by giving a tenth of my income. Genesis 14 was when the tithe somewhat started. It actually started in Genesis 4 with um, Cain and Abel. First fruits, the fat of the etc. But I'm not going to go there. I'm starting in Genesis 14. Number of hundreds of years before the law came into play. Genesis 14, 18 says, Then Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, however you want to pronounce it, king of Salem, brought out the bread and the wine. Interesting. If you want to break bread and wine, enjoy the communion, then tithe. If you're not tithing, then don't break bread and wine. Go to Hebrews. It looks at this account. He was a priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, before he became Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram. By God Most High, creator of the heaven and the earth. And praise be to the God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So let me paint the picture of what's just happened here. Remember, Abram's a farmer. He's come from Haran. And he brought his, you know, every family's got one of them. He brought his nephew Lot with him. <laughs> Lot's now gravitated towards Sodom and Gomorrah is now living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the four kings from the north come in and they take captive all the people and ransack and pillage Sodom and Gomorrah, which includes Lot and his family. Abraham's a farmer. I know I've said that. Get a picture of it. He's a farmer. Go read the text. He takes 318 men, goes up against four armies and defeats them. They go with their pitchforks, and they beat four armies with their pitchforks. Is that not a miracle that's just happened there that we gloss over? He now comes back, and Melchizedek arrives. He's the Prince of Peace who has no beginning, no end. He's a picture or type of Christ. What is his first response? Is to acknowledge God and give him a tenth of everything. Just like in creation, we are caused to rest in the same way, when we come into the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we see what He has done for us, there is nothing else but our first initial response is to give a tenth of everything that we have. And hence, it is not maturity. It is acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when He tithed to Melchizedek, He is showing us that what we are doing is we are it's a shadow or a type of tithing towards Him that we do now to express our Lord, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it is predetermined. What do I mean? Well, when you are doing a sacrifice before God, and in the old days they had an altar. Now imagine an altar that you arrive at and there's no sacrifice. What's the point? So guess what? Tithing is a sacrifice. Because just like that text said, and you know what I mean? Well, I've worked for it. It's right in my brow, and I've got this now. Really, do I have to give it away? Actually, it's not yours in the first place, but hey. But yeah, what it is, is there's a cost to it. You put it onto the altar. 
so that the fire of God can fall on it. Secondly, it's not directed by me. It's already been predetermined. The minute I decide to do something with that tithe, I've now put myself well into that, and despite the sacrifice, it brings it to naught. What do I mean? Solomon, the wisest man that's ever lived, God had said in his word, it was prohibited to do sacrifices on the mountainside or on the mountaintops. What did he do? He went onto the mountaintops and he provided. So yes, he was unto God. So we can say, well, I'm not going to give my tithe to the local body right now. I'm going to go give it to X, Y, Z. So you've just instituted or you've put your own self-will in to something that's already been predetermined and you've put it somewhere else. And even though it's unto the Lord to help others, it means this much in God's eyes because you have been disobedient. Thirdly, it's in the storehouse. What is the storehouse? It's where you get in your spiritual food. If you are a member of Lifehouse, you tithe into this house. You don't go to McDonald's and pay at Burger King. And vice versa. If you're part of another community, for goodness sake, you tithe there. Not here. Otherwise, there is nothing in terms of a spiritual true riches that you will start to see. Here's something when we did this course with uh, Stephen DeSilva, which kind of blew my mind. There are two things in our spiritual walk that if you don't take the initiative and take them or do them, they'll be taken anyway. One of them is the Sabbath. If you do not take your Sabbath and believe that God is going to undertake for you while you rest, the enemy will take it regardless with your busyness and putting things in your life that you don't rest. And then you'll see, we saw what happened when I started this. You will stop dreaming, you will lose purpose, and you will end up in a place of going around the mountain. The second thing is the tithe. I've just read Malachi chapter 3. The pestilence, if you don't tithe, it gets taken from you anyway. Your fridge will break down. Now, I'm not putting fear on you. I, I've had this. I'm pretty sure that Defy and all of those Calvinator and all of those kind of things, you've seen that advert. They've got that van that goes around the community and they go, oh, Gary and Louise, the, the warranty on their, their uh, washing machine is two years. It's gone two years, one month. And they push a button and something self-destructs in that machine. And you've got to go buy another one. But I've known that in my own life. When I've withheld from God, it gets taken anyway. Something goes down. Something happens. It's been predetermined. That's what God wants from us. Lastly, the purpose that God blesses us and gives to us, and the purpose why we tithe is to be a blessing. What do I mean by that? I know there's men in this woman too, but I know two men here in particular, who their accountants come and look at their financials every year and go, what is this expense? No, it's my tithe to the church. What? No, but if you cut down on that, you can do more of this and this and that. No, I'm not going to. But each year, their income statement and their balance sheet has grown exponentially. So what happens is, is when we tithe and we declare and acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus, and we give sacrificially and we do all of those things, what it does is people look and go, how is that possible? Well, it's not because God is the one who's intervened. God is the one who's given direction. God is the one who's led. And God is the one that's given testimony because tithing is a witness to the, 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 the nations, not only for our blessing, but for theirs. Here's the thing. Matthew 28, we are called to disciple the nations. Without prosperity, we cannot bless the nations. Without prosperity, 
we cannot bless the nations. And like I've said, and I'm going to say it again, tithing is the initial entry into the unseen realm of accessing true riches. So I want to give a little testimony right now. We hit May. There's not enough resources in the church to sustain the staff. Got Richard and Grant here to, and, and Steve to back me up on what I'm about to say. So I go, what do we do? Feel God lead me into a place of going to find work. I found four jobs in the space of two weeks. I could pick and choose. I started one job. We go on this prosperous soul conference. God impresses on my heart to give more than 10%. So 10% of nothing is pretty cool. <laughs> just, just kidding. For the last three months, I've been giving 11%. Over and above that, the staff haven't received increases. We discuss it, we say they must get increases. I'm not getting a salary. God leads me into this job. Within six weeks, I get a 25% increase. Is this starting to make sense? And I feel God has led us into a place of a place of giving 20%. But how do I get there? I can't go from 10, well, maybe you can. I don't have the faith for that. Let me go from 10 to 11. Let me stay there for three to six months. Then 12. You know what, 13, 14. And there'll be a time where I'll be giving 20%. I say, I, we as a family. Why? Because God is leading us into a place of being a generous people and acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus. And in this process, look what he's done. Maybe some of you aren't tithing. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Move your heart towards getting to that place. Out of obedience. It's not a maturity issue. And get to that place to open up the floodgates of heaven that there will not be room enough for you to contain it. So now, what's brilliant is we had that, remember we went back, we have, um, wah, 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 there, no? We had the composition of income, we've given 10% away, and now what happens is we've got 90% that are left. There's only two categories of where that 90% will go. And let me show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. It goes on, whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. If anything I say today makes you feel guilty and makes you feel under compulsion to give, Throw it away. It's not from God. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Generosity and righteousness are linked. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food or to eat, will also supply an increase in your store of seed that will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving. Okay, so if we have bread to eat and seed to sow, here's what I want to show you. Is that the seed is investments and offerings or gifts. Bread is for personal enjoyment. 
I think there are a number of people who don't have the ability to enjoy the fruits of their labor. They give it all away. So here's an example. Imagine, and I don't have one of these things, but well, actually, we've got my mom and dad. My dad's got this old Bible. When was it? 16th century Bible? 17th century Bible? From our family. The Bradshaw's kind of lineage. Now, I know that's coming to me. I'm the firstborn son. Yes. But the point is, is imagine in a number of years' time, I give it to Jordan and he gives it away. Imagine if we had a family heirloom watch that went through the generations, and I give it to Jordan and he gives it away. I think the Father often gives us stuff to enjoy, and we give it away. But there's the text that's telling us that there's for personal enjoyment and delight. And if you go read there, he provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And I think within Christian circles, sometimes we go, oh, we, we can't buy that new car. What are people going to think? I'm one of them. Sure. If I buy a nice car, sure, they're going to think, oh, I, oh, I can't buy a new car. I'll buy something smaller. But God has given us bread to eat for our enjoyment and for our delight. You know, Israel, what they knew how to do was celebrate and have feasts. And they still do. I mean, there's Glenn. I mean, they do. They enjoy that moment. And it's actually an offering towards God. Enjoying your new vehicle is an offering to God. Enjoying what God has given you, and I'm talking about bread, because then it's so easy to say, okay, everything's bread. And that's where I'm going to get to now. Here's the thing. God, read throughout the scripture and bring me one scripture where God devalues money or speaks negatively of money he doesn't even though it's one of the, the most things that jesus speaks about how much money is too much honestly how much money is too much when it becomes an idol when you start to trust in money more than god you've got too much money even if you've got a one rand right now and you're trusting in that or are you trusting in god to provide for your needs and for your future so secondly, we hit this thing of seed. Here's the thing. It says uh, God provides seed to everyone. No, to the sower. So if you're not sowing, if stuff's not coming out of you and giving, God's not going to provide you a seed. Yonggi Cho, when they were in the war with Japan and etc., he, uh, he said to his grandfather who had a bag of seed, he, he said, Grandfather, what's that? He said, it's seed. He says, but grandfather, we're so hungry. Can we not eat it? He says, well, if we eat it now, we've got nothing for tomorrow. Seed is for our future. Seed is for eternity. But what we do is when we, sow it, when we sow it for eternity's sake, we actually reap the benefits right now. And like I said, there's two. One, one is investment. We invest it into things. We're going to be doing workshops early next year. We'll give you those dates in due course. Because I think there's a lot of people that don't know how to invest their money. What investments do you go for? Some of those transaction costs are ridiculous. Do you invest in property? Do you invest in endowment policies? Do you invest in unit trusts? Do you invest in this? Do you invest in that? We've got guys in this community that have an understanding of that and can point you in the right direction. But then there's this generosity thing that if I'm going to be standing here and I feel in my heart <clears throat> offerings and generosity come from the heart. It's a conviction. And what happens is, is and I'll speak to you a moment, in a moment about our land, is not under compulsion but under conviction if God has called you to give towards the land. If you move towards it and you move your heart towards it and you start to step one rand, 
maybe 100 rand, maybe 20,000 rand, doesn't matter. When you start to move towards it, God starts to resource your movement towards that. Why do I say that? It's throughout Scripture. Isaiah 54. Extend your tent pegs. What was the context? Actually, I want a child. We are barren. Okay, well, put another room on the house because I'm about to give you a baby. If we don't create the sphere or the realm for God to come and fill, he's not going to fill it. If we are not going to take the seed and actually put it in the ground, nothing's going to grow. And if you eat your seed now and you make it all bread, you won't have anything for tomorrow. Make sense? I love Karen's thing about debt. If you remember last week, he said, debt is basically looking down the corridors of time and saying to my future Gary, Gary, can I borrow money now? That's what debt is. But investment is even better because what investment does is said, Gary, guess what? I'm going to provide for your future. I'm going to put money away now so that when I get there, you've got enough to spend and for future generations. So 1 Timothy 6.18 says, Command rich people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for this coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. How's that? And then what's amazing is your impact of generosity. This is the Passion Translation. Your generosity will awaken the conscience, the God conscience of the people you give to, and it will well up in thanksgiving like the Second Corinthians 9 text said. How's that? So when Paul spoke last week about generosity, Paul and Karen, and he said when he goes, and we heard about it in the pre-meeting, he goes to Wimpy and he orders the 25 rand breakfast, but he gives the guy 100 rand for the meal, and the guy gets a 75 rand tip. You know what you're doing? You're awakening an innate God consciousness to be thankful towards God. And what does Romans 4 tell me? It's the kindness of God that leads people to a place of repentance. So when we generously give to others, and there are many places we give, not just in the local church, poor people in need, family context, whatever the case is, translocal ministry, there are many opportunities to give. So let me land this. Do you budget to give? Because if you don't, if you're not intentional, and you know I hate that word, if you're not deliberate, you won't give. So, what is the percentage? How much are you going to sow? How much are you going to eat out of the 90%? That's where God's going to lead you. That's where you need to have a relationship with God, where you're saying, you know what, this month, 20% bread. Hmm. 90%. We're going to have peanut butter sandwiches and salty cracks. End of the month. So in conclusion, we as Christians live in a paradoxical world where when we steward money well, it gives us access to true riches. When we steward true riches well, it increases our resources and one of those be money. And maturity requires us to make God's values our values and to have a deliberate, radical act of obedience in terms of what he's called us to. Because when we prosper inside, we prosper from without. And we impact the world around us and we influence it. Imagine if this community grabbed a hold of this series, all the principles in this series. We owned our own homes. We had no debt. We invested in the advancement of the kingdom. 
We broke cycles of loss and poverty and systemic poverty. And we allowed the flow of, of, of resources into those areas, not by just throwing money at things, but by retraining and showing people how to fish and empowering people. You see, the subject of prosperity has been abused. It has. In the church, it has been abused. But it's in the Bible. So how do we deal with abuse? It's not non-use. It's correct use. And so what I would say to us is how do we correctly use prosperity? Because we are called to prosper. That's why we called the series Money and the Purpose of Prosperity. We will not disciple the nations without prosperity. And God is trying to position all of us for our destiny that we would become history makers and influence history through our prosperity. As I 60 has been spoken over this church, and it says many times by a whole bunch of different peoples that the wealth of nations will come to this church. And we will be a breadbasket to, to, to resource other communities in the city and beyond. And the thing is, why? Because we are blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Steve. Because you're probably going to need some sugar. So you can eat them. If you get the chocolates, then uh, I'm giving you the permission to eat them to get your sugar up. And it should last about half an hour. I'm going to try and summarize in about 15 minutes. I've got a rugby ball for those rugby fanatics. And I've got quite a lot of Texas to keep you going. So keep them going. You're going to answer correctly. I just want to say something. Uh, thanks. What else do I have? Do I have everything out? That um, Gary has put so much work into diagrams, work, documents, research. Uh, I, re I mean, I think he's got a gift, and I want to speak that over him, that he's, I, I trust, and I'm going to see a book with his name on. I mean, I've got the notes here that I've kept, God's financial system. He put this together, friends. And so I want to honor Gary because... He's got an ability and a gift to summarize things, to put things down. And you've got a gem here. You've got a jewel here. So my bud, well done. He's led this financial team amazingly well. I want to see the book with Gary Bradshaw, forwarded by Steve Stavro. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really believe that, bro. I think it's been amazing. And, and I don't have much time for a prophetic word, but I want to say to you, Jure, uh, I had something in my heart. And to you, Simon, that you're going into wine country where there's a lot of wine, but you're going to bring the true wine in that place. And it's the wine and the richness of God. And you're going to be celebrated in such a mighty way because the kingdom of God is going to flow through you. So go well. And um, I had that word on my heart, but I didn't feel to share it then. So we're in the series. And um, I want you to turn to Acts 2.42. Uh, and hold there. I'm going to try and go from 20 minutes to 10 minutes because I know it's been quite a long morning. I think Gary did absolutely brilliantly there. And uh, I've got to hold two chocolates, and I've got to hold the clicker, and I'm going to go back there. But when we, and I'm going to carry on from what Gary, where he started, is when we bless others, and when we are blessed, when we own our homes, when we have no debt, when we bless this nation, what are we really doing? What are we declaring? What are we manifesting? 
for a chocolate, okay? Because let me tell you my confession. My confession is that my son has heard me speak more negatively about South Africa this year than the love that God has for this nation and for this continent. It's like he's picking up on my negativity. He's speaking on the words of curse that I'm speaking over South Africa and the government. I said to Gary the other day, I don't love the government. Like God loves the people. God loves Jacob Zuma. God loves the leaders of this nation. And when I saw that this, this, this morning, God, I want to confess that I've spoken more negatively over the people of this nation than I ever have. And it's not of God. It's not. If we want to say anything, say we're going to pray for our leaders, love our leaders, love this nation. God has called us to this nation and this continent. But it's been a tough year. And so easily... My witness at the practice to my patients is, oh, look what government's doing. Look what's happening to the economy. It's tanking. Look what's happened to mining. Yet we've got God. We've got this resource. If we're going to live from heaven to earth like Gary has just said, wow, we can change this nation. So when people come and bring our finances to Lifehouse and we invest on their behalf, when we have no debt, when we're empowering others, what are we doing for a chocolate? Summarized, we are doing what? What are we radiating? God's goodness, God's provision. But if we have to summarize it in a theme in the Bible, trusting God, yes, is part of it. Generosity is part of it. Shout it out, God. Life, calling. Glory. <laughs> so we're radiating God's glory. Okay, so this is where I want to go quickly. We spoke, Gary spoke about we've been blessed through God. We're going to be a blessing to the nation. That's the Abrahamic covenant in, Abra- in uh, Genesis 12, where God says to Abraham, I will bless you, make your name great, and you'll be a blessing to the nations. We're going to talk about Shekinah glory. We're going to talk about Lifehouse, and we're going to talk about the land. Because Lifehouse is Jesus' body. I wouldn't be talking badly or negatively about Jesus' body. Woe to you who causes another brother to stumble. Jesus, when Jesus says woe to you, you better listen up. It's going to get hectic. So this is what I want to talk about. So if you remember these five things at the end of the service, hopefully there will be a chocolate left for you. Okay, so maybe it will keep you a little bit of attention. So are you eating that chocolate, Becca, or are you going to give it away, young Ian? Or you shook? Okay, good, good, good. You're going to tithe on it. <laughs> so, what is the word of the Lord to life us? Arise and shine, Isaiah 60, for your light has come. And, carry on. And the glory, say glory. The glory has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Is darkness covering the earth in South Africa in many ways? Absolutely. And thick darkness, the people, they look very, very blind and they're walking around in darkness. But the Lord will do what on life us? Will rise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. Friends, listen to this very carefully. It's probably the greatest revelation I've had in the last two, three months. You have a glory. And you all seem so excited about that. <laughs> you have a glory. Okay, you have a glory. 
What does it say in Isaiah 43, 7? God says, I have created you for my glory. Say that. God has created you for my glory. David says in Psalm 16, 9, he says, my glory rejoices. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, your glory is greater than who? Than Moses. What did Moses do? Separated the sea. He led the Israelites out. His face was shining, but his glory is fading. It's external and fading. What about your glory? It's internal. It's increasing. And it's increasing from one degree of glory to another. So today and every day, you have the opportunity for your glory to increase. You see, what does glory mean to you? There's about 372 scriptures with the word glory. You see, for my boy, glory means something else. So we're watching the Springboks play in New Zealand. And the Springboks get the ball. And it goes to Skullberger. And he goes left. And he goes right. And boom! He hits Richie McCaw. And for the first time in the match, he doesn't knock it on. He throws it back. And it goes to Jesse Creel. And he sidesteps left. And he sidesteps right. And he's going for glory. And he goes through and he scores one of the greatest tries against the All Blacks. Oh, glory, glory, glory. And my son, at the end of an undefeated 11A soccer team, a, a season that they played brilliantly, and the only game that he didn't play, they drew. The rest they won. And he says to me, Dad, that boy James, he's such a glory boy. He just always goes for glory. You see, because in every single one of us here, there's a desire. There's a desire, there's a longing, there's a craving to want and it's human. It's a human nature. If you don't desire something, you're dead. There's a want, there's an aching, there's a longing inside of you. And it's God-given. And what is it? It's to display and radiate and manifest His glory. Because we all want glory. You see, this lady carries a massive glory around the globe. Probably the richest, Oprah, probably one of the richest, if not one or number one or number two, richest woman in the world. She carries the glory. When people talk, if she comes into a room, she carries the glory. She carries an influence. Everybody is seeking glory. Everybody is seeking significance. Every single one of you. Every single one of you. It's where are you going to get it from? How are you going to display it? How are you going to live out that glory that God is asking you this morning? So how do we define it? New Testament, the word doxa, it means perspective, view, influence. It means splendor, greatness. Old Testament, the word kabot, which means weight or presence or divine attributes or characteristics. So we could summarize those two words as what? God's Holy, divine characteristics, attributes, majesty, splendor. That's what glory is. His glory. But who exactly manifests the glory of God? Giving you a clue. Who exactly manifests the glory of God perfectly every time? Jesus. Because Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the Glory of God, the perfect imprint of His nature. That's Jesus. So why did Jesus speak about money so much? Why did He talk about it as the top topic or the second top, top topic? 
Why did he talk about money and finances so much? Because every creed, every culture, every people understands trading and bartering and ownership. They understand currency. That's why he spoke about it. Because every single one of you engage in money today and every day. Either the bond's going through every single day, either paying capital back, or you're paying interest back. Every day it's ticking, either increasing or decreasing, or sometimes staying the same. But there's a trading of currency every single day. That's why Jesus spoke about it. Now, when Jesus did all these things, when he engaged in money and he spoke about it, he did it perfectly because he radiated the very glory of God. So when you want to see how to deal with money, who do you look at? Jesus. He perfectly radiated the glory of God. So Stephen De Silva says, how do we turn a world upside down? Who knows in the Bible where we can find the words, the world was turned upside down. Stephen De Silva says, when supernatural stewards distribute true riches, the world gets turned upside down, and he uses that. Where does it come from? Acts 17.6, the house of Jason. They're manifesting the glory of God, God's attributes, and the world gets turned upside down, and they get thrown before authorities. That's what we want to do. How are we going to turn South Africa upside down? How are we going to turn Johannesburg upside down? By speaking negatively of the country, by speaking ne negatively about the economy, the economy is tanking. Have you seen what's happened to mining? We used to be the first like, in production. Now we're the fifth. Have you seen what's happened to health? Have you seen, oh, are we going to be, are our children, the people, and the witness that we have, the testimony, is it going to be the people of God speaking negatively or actually declaring God's provision? Just summarize Gary's preach quickly. Are we going to declare those things from heavenly to earth? Or are we going to look at the earth and live out of that place? Let me tell you, it's a witness to your family. When my son starts saying the same thing as me. My goodness, the government's not in a good place, Dad. Like he needs to speak about the promises of God. Everything belongs to him. So, in fact, the Bible scholars were interesting. The rabbinical, Old Testament biblical scholars ca called a phenomena or a verse when the dwelling presence of God came on a place. When the glory of God came on a place, and they called it Shekinah. Shekinah glory is a dwelling God dwelling in a place. Or a dwelling place for a dwelling God. Yes, hopefully you'll get that right. Let's start with that. A dwelling place for a dwelling God. That is Shekinah. It's not actually in the Old Testament. But it's when the glory is manifested on earth. It is in the Hebrew New Testament, in John and Revelation. If you read the Passion Translation, brilliant translation, you'll see it's in there, the Shekinah glory. What does it mean? A dwelling place for a dwelling God. Okay, one, two, three. A dwelling place. For a dwelling God. Maybe you've got to separate the chocolate out and start distributing. But a dwelling place for a dwelling God. So what is your assignment? Not your identity. What is your assignment, Barrett? To have Shekinah glory. You're a dwelling place for a dwelling God. We're not going to just dwell because many people are dwelling on this earth, but they're not having God dwell in them. So what is your assignment? What is our assignment? God in us, Shekinah glory, a dwelling place for a dwelling God. Good. So I'm going to give you three analogies. Garden of Eden, quickly. 
Gods are gone. God in even who builds it, who creates it, whose idea was it? God's. Who lived in it? Okay. Who dwelt with the people? God. God walked with them, so we've got a dwelling place with a dwelling God. Good. Okay, second place, Moses. He gets one of the greatest assignments on earth. What is the assignment? To build a place where God is going to dwell and live. So he goes up the mountain, 40 days, 40 nights. He gets the exact dimensions, patterns, what Gary spoke about, the ways of God. He didn't come up, down, and then just build whatever he wanted to. He built it exactly according to the pattern that God had given him on top of the mountain. What happens? He builds it perfectly. He then has got sacrifices, worship time, prayers, cleansing, which is a picture of something in the New Covenant that I'm going to get to. He does all these ceremonial things. And then it says, when he was finished, the cloud, the glory filled the tent, filled the tabernacle. And everybody saw the glory of the Lord. That is Moses' tabernacle. How much do you think in today's current value that's worth? They've put estimations. Historical, biblical scholars have put an estimation to Moses' tabernacle. I don't remember the dimensions. I asked Gary, but I don't remember the dimensions. I think it's 20 meters by 10 meters. 16 billion US dollars. That's the tent. That's the tabernacle. In today's, that if we wanted to build with the same type of resources they built, it would be worth 16 billion US dollars. Let's jump to Exodus 40, Solomon's temple. Okay, here's Solomon. Whose idea is it? It's David's idea. It's man's idea this time. Okay, who is going to bless it? God. Okay, he gets the exact ways again, the exact description, the exact details on how to build this temple. It takes seven years. It takes 180,000 people okay, for this temple to be built. How much is it worth in today's current estimations? 60 billion US dollars. Solomon's temple. 180,000 people working on it in a seven-year period. What happens when he's finished? What does he do? Sacrifices, worship, Prayer, ceremonial washings, he does it God's way. And then what it says is the glory fell, the presence fell in such a mighty way that the priest could not stand in the temple. The glory of the Lord. Can you see the analogy? Can you see the picture? Garden of Even. Then we've got Moses' tabernacle, Solomon's temple, and then to the new covenant. Who can give me the scripture that declares the first picture and type? of our tent in the New Testament, of Shekinah glory. What and who is the picture of Shekinah glory the first time? Daftop, no? Give me the scripture. By an X, no? I'm trying, it's good, I like this interaction. You want that chocolate, cool. Come on. No? Okay. Jesus is born, no, almost. Okay, <laughs> almost, but Jesus born is good. But if we start from John 1, verse 14, what does it say? 1 John, 1, uh, John 1, 1 says what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became God, and the Word was with God. 1, 14 says, the Word became flesh and did what? Dwelt with us. Can you see that Jesus, God, decides to take on what type of tent? What type of tabernacle? 
What type of temple? Human skin and flesh and a body. A dwelling place for a dwelling God. Where does that dwelling place and that dwelling God take another level up? When he gets baptized. When he gets baptized and the Spirit comes upon him, it's another picture of the presence and the glory of God coming upon us. Okay? So the next place that it happens, the second part, is with the disciples in Acts 1.8. You are going to receive power to be what? My witnesses to Jerusalem and the, and the sword. So here we've got this tent. But before this tent can receive the glory of God, what has to happen? Okay, that's, that's what we're talking about. The glory comes. Okay, the power comes. The presence comes. The spirit comes. But think about the analogy now. What did Moses have to do? What did Solomon have to do? Sacrifice, washings. Who washes us? Can, the new, can, can unbelievers receive the glory and the presence of God? No. No, not inside of them because this tent has to accept Jesus. So who does your washing? Who does your ceremonial cleaning? The Spirit. And you become called? Born again. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, now go and wait for the presence of God. So this tent has to be regenerated. It has to be washed clean before the presence and the glory of God can come in a mighty way. And the more we present this body as a living sacrifice, what happens with the glory? It increases. The presence increases. I'm not giving up enough chocolates at the moment. Okay. So that's, that's the second, and the saints' baptism of the Spirit is available to all of us. So we have this tent, we have this structure, we have this temple, God's glory comes upon us, and we radiate the glory of God. So when Paul does what he does at the Wimpy, he's radiating the goodness and the glory of God. The glory comes, and who gets attracted to it? The unsaved. It's a witness. When you take your 50 bucks, it doesn't matter... As an eldership, it's not the 500, the 5,000, the 50,000, the 500,000, the 5 million, the 50 million. God is concerning what is, saying, what is the word of the Lord to you. See, did Jesus respond out of need or did he respond out of the word of the Lord? See, there's need always. What is the word going to you, Barrett, to you, Derek? What is the word of the Lord to you guys as a couple? In terms of your finances, what are you going to be prepared to give over this season? So that the glory of the Lord, you can make this body a living sacrifice, a tent, a structure. Because friends, we need another type of tent structure on our land. And I'm going to get there. I'm jumping ahead. So in Lifehouse Church, I want you to, are you at two, Acts 2.42? I've done well so far. I've got four chocolates left. Okay, are you there? Or I'm going to read it. So this is what I think Lifehouse can look like. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and say, all came upon every soul. Oh, that's good, Gary. You get a chocolate. <laughs> so what's that a sign of? It's the manifest presence. It's the glory. And many winders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all had things in common. And they were selling their possessions. There's a word to one of you out there. You need to sell something so that you can give. Not under compulsion. You need to sell something that you can start and turn, as Gary has said, towards our land and towards our tents and structure. 
They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is what Shekinah practically looks like. Favor with people. All your needs in this community are met. Friends, if you're giving something, money, outwards, and we have needs in this community that aren't met, we are not following what God has called us. If you're part of this community and you're giving out, instead of giving here, you're not following the ways and the processes and the plans and the pattern that God has called. So we need a tent. We need a structure. I got so excited this week. Because Gary sent me the plans and how wide it's going to be and how deep it's going to be and, and what the stage is going to look like and where the kids' ministry is going to go and how many toilets are we going to have and where they're going to be and, you know, where's the kitchen, Helen said, and where's the food going to go? And we got so excited talking about this in terms of what God's going to do because it's a reality now. God's given us the word six years ago. If you don't align with that word, please Come every Sunday and every Wednesday in the, into our life groups and trust that God's going to speak to you about that word. We want alignment. We want unity with regards to this. This is our land. God has given it to us. We need a structure. We need a tent. You see, as we radiate the glory of God individually, as we tabernacle here, this tent here, we radiate the glory of God, which we call Shekinah glory, a dwelling place for a dwelling God. I love the fact that people come into our home in 43 Arklow and they say, wow, there's peace, there's love here. They come and see angels at our home. It's beautiful. Why? Because there's a dwelling place for a dwelling God. Friends, when we come together, don't think that the structures, the plants, the floor, the atmosphere in this place is not affected by the glory of God that radiates from us. And when we speak negatively, and when we speak in lack and doubt, we just crush that down. Because our words resonate a frequency. It affects matter. So we want to get on this land. And we want you to hear God. And we want you to make a pledge as a husband and wife. God spoke to me about that two weeks ago. I was just about to write a number on. Okay, I'm the guy who earns the money, so I'll just put a number down. <laughs> like a real dude, you know. Now come with your wife or your husband and your family. Committed over the process. Whether it's 50, I don't know why I'm using the word five, but I think it's just five. For an analogy, if Kerry was here, probably Grace. Five rand, 50 rand. If your children can give five rand, if they can see a structure in place and say, I actually took some of my pocket money and I gave, I turned towards that. Then we can be a city on a hill. Then we can change this nation. Then we can turn South Africa upside down. And when you look around in this place, you think, God, how are you going to do it with this community? But God is not worried about us knowing the how. He's saying, are you going to be faithful for what you've got? Gary said, if you're not tithing, one rand, two, 10%, 11%. 12%. So we kill all condemnation. Shekinah glory is not your identity. You'll always be a child of God. No matter whether you give a cent or a rand or nothing, you will always be a child of God. It's not your identity, but it's your assignment. 
It's your assignment to radiate the glory of God. So you will always be a part of us, whether you give or you don't give. And if you don't have this vision, then don't say anything, but trust God that he will bring revelation to you that you can grab hold by faith. What I do know is all of you in this midst can probably give a lot more than five grand. Maybe a lot more than 50. Maybe God's calling you to sell something. I just have that word for someone. You've got to sell something and you've got to take that and give it into the property. So we're going to be calling over the season a pledge from you as a family. Please consult your wife. We don't want to do marriage counseling next year. <laughs> you need to do it as a family with the glory of God. And I want to, I, I, I'm sure, Gary, do you want to share? But I've got to pray. I want you to stand before Gary shares because I know that he probably does want to share. But stand up, close your eyes. I want you to, I want to pray this over you. And the musos can come up. And I want you to listen to the glory in the church. The glory in the church. Ladies. <laughs> Ephesians 3.20. May it sink in your heart. May it bring much fruit and revelation. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would make it real. You would bring substance to that. Now to Him. Close your eyes and picture this. I want you to picture your bank balances. I said that in the... In the, in the prayer meeting. I want to picture something that you're going to sell, that God's going to lay in your heart. He doesn't have to do it in this meeting. But over the next two, three weeks as you pray, please hold your spouse's hands. And if you're single, go and get another single person. Hold their hands and pray. Friends, we're sitting on a precipice. We're sitting on something that we can change this nation and change and influence it. Or you can make a golden calf. We're sitting on a precipice to change this city and this nation. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or even think of, according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church. Say glory in the church. Say it louder. Glory in the church. Okay, Mark, you were the loudest. <laughs> and in Christ Jesus, through all generations forever and ever. I'll come and read that once more because I... No, no, it's fine. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church. Say glory in the church. Glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, God has chosen the body of Jesus. God the Father has chosen the body of Jesus. Who is the body of Jesus? Us, us the church. He's chosen the body of Jesus, the church, to manifest His wisdom and His glory and His attributes to this city and this nation. Let us be part of displaying His goodness, His faithfulness, His love. Next year and the years to come. Lee, why don't you put the land PowerPoint up, please. It's another 90 seconds and we'll worship and close. So getting on to our land. It's interesting, Steve and I haven't actually talked, but the making history is what I feel it to be. The prophetic promises, it's our second last... Uh, time that we were there and we let those balloons with the prophetic promises over Johannesburg this was the last time we ran into our future I, I believe God is unfolding this quickly I think us being asked to move from our venue is not just some kind of well this is God doing it and this is for our future generations there's our kids running into what they have for it and so the member what um, Greg Stephen said is that the purpose of the battle is victory but the purpose of victory is occupation.
And I believe that God's called us to occupy this land now. That's the picture of it. There's Cedar Road or Sixth Street. There's the, the, where we're going to the entrance here. And so basically where we are right now is we're hopefully getting our rezoning certificate this week. Roger's going in and I think we need to pray for him for wisdom. The guy said we'd have it this week. So hopefully we have it by midweek. We need to secure with the fence. We need foundations. We need utility providers. All of this is already on the go. We've got guys look, uh, phoning Eskom, uh, Joburg Water, etc., uh, etc. Et We've got boreholes about to be sunk. We've got to erect on a, modu- a modular building, which is going to cost us way less than what we originally wanted to do so we can get on. And then we will build the bricks. We're aiming to be on by the 1st of April. It's not an April Fool's joke. And uh, what do we need? We need two million bucks. And we're exploring this. I've got faith in my heart for it. What we do need to know is what people can give. Whether it's a once-off, whether it's a few offerings, whether it's monthly, whether it's a percentage of profits or dividends, if you're in some kind of partnership or, or, or company and own shares, whether you can even loan the money for this season. If we can raise two million bucks, we're on by the 1st of April. So Father, remember... 2 Corinthians chapter 9 not under compulsion but decide in your heart what to give if God says nothing then it's nothing Father we just yeah let's just raise our hands I honestly be with our holy moments Lord no manipulation no condemnation nothing you said we would build and we'd get onto this land in the lowest economic time in South Africa guess what you were right Thank you, Lord, that this is the church's finest hour. This is Lifehouse's finest hour. Because God, actually, on, in the natural sense, this is impossible. Even two million is impossible. But thank you, God, that we have true riches that are available to us. Thank you for the protocols of heaven that's where you own the cattle in a thousand hills. And so we say, God, won't you come and move us to what moves you? And we know, God, that planting a church with land ownership in a community gives us a vesting right from a spiritual perspective to speak into the community and shift atmospheres. And so God, we ask, won't you lead and guide us? We ask for wisdom. You said you'd give it to us generously. As a leadership, we need your wisdom. But for each person here, we ask and those who are not here. And what I'll do is I'll be sending out an email with all the details on the next couple of days. And if you can let us know, and honestly, if there's nothing in your heart that you feel to give, then don't. No condemnation. So I just felt to share God's been challenging me over the last probably six months, that scripture that Steve, we belong to a God and we shine the glory of a God who can do way beyond anything we can ask and imagine. And watched a video series and the example, just to put it in something we can understand, there's a lady whose husband on her birthday never even bothers with a card. And she goes to God and she says, Lord, this year for my birthday, can he just write a card? That's already more than I could normally ask for. And she prays and she says, God, please, I just need it for my marriage and I need it for for me. Just a card. And on her birthday, she walks into the bedroom and on the bed, there's a card. And under the card, there's a box. And that's already gone beyond the beyond because there's actually a present. And inside the box, there's an umbrella. She goes, well, it's a present. It's already beyond the beyond what I could have imagined. 
And under the umbrella, there's a note that says, I hear it rains a lot in Paris. And I just felt to challenge all of us when we're going before God, what can we give? Lord, what can you do for me? What is my beyond my beyond? And then ask him for something more. Because we think that our little present is already beyond the abundantly beyond what I can imagine because I'm imagining a card. And then the present, the note, it rains a lot in Paris, is just so beyond the horizon of anything we can ask and imagine. But that's our dad. That's our dad who wants to do that for us. And for Lifehouse, for us getting onto our land, Let's start to try and imagine and ask God to expand our dreams, to enlarge our vision, and just go beyond the beyond the beyond what we can ask or imagine.